0: Hey everyone, Eric Watson here, and this is the recorded audio of a DM-only live stream in which I prepare for our next live session and chat with fans twice a week at my Rogue Watson YouTube channel. Please note that these streams are full of DM spoilers. This was not originally intended for an audio-only format, but has been converted to a podcast for your convenience. The channel and by extension this podcast are supported by Patreon. If you'd like to support my work, you can do so at patreon.com slash roguewatson. Enjoy the show. Freelance writer, player of games, writer or quarter of videos, and tabletop role-playing aficionado. Welcome to the Thursday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM only live stream crafting ice wind down, which I build, right, and prepare for our next session of a rhyme of the frost maiden. If you are playing characters Val Robin Frey, Celeste Edmund, or Thimbleweed, this stream is not meant for you, but for the rest of you. Welcome. Morning, of course, there will be spoilers. We stream our DD sessions live on YouTube every Friday. Watch all of our DD sessions and reviews here on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Rogue Watson and join our official Discord server I invite link in the description below. If you would like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com/slash roguewatson for our campaign. We use roll twenty and for streaming I use open broadcaster software with Streamlabs. We're still top top talking about Etherin and the expanded towers and kind of st- Trying to keep to the area that the players are at and work as a radius around them. Since it's an entire lost city, I don't really want to have to prepare it all at once, nor do I need to do that. I believe on Monday we talked about the Tower of Conjuration. So if you've not watched that stream yet, please go do that now because I think we're pretty well prepped. That one is pretty straightforward. Honestly, both, I'm really glad, I I don't know if this was intentional or not, but kind of the the closest towers, like the first ones the players would do, I think are a little on the easier side in, in terms of not having a lot of complicated moving parts or um, uh, in-depth uh, story or role-playing situations or anything like that. I think they're both probably the most straightforward of the towers. So abduration, as I've mentioned countless times, is basically just uh, two battles, plus you can talk to the anvil and destroy a magic item. But including one battle with a Tomb Tapper, which actually I still need to... Look at maybe beefing up that uh, stat block a little bit since my players are level 13 and I don't know how much a single uh, Tomb Tapper would scare them like I kind of want it to. Not, not like a big boss fight, but you know, it, it's just tricky. I think the action economy with single enemies in D&D is always going to be extremely challenging unless you're using legendary actions, which I could do that. That would actually be the easiest way to fix the action economy back in my favor is to give the Tomb Tapper legendary actions. I will leave it to you all if I think I should do that. I can pull up that stat block. Um, But we did also talk about, so that one's, you know, just basically combat focused. Although there's some cool stuff in there. There's some puzzles, there's some traps, players can get caught. Uh, In fact, I'll just go ahead and go over real quick again. Let's see, Tower of Abjuration. So, the initial door, if they try to break through it, which I don't believe they would ever know the proper way to get inside, they're supposed to know a password. Uh, and if they don't know that, if they try to just dispel magic or do anything else to open this magically sealed door, then whoever does the thing or just break it down um, has to make a pretty hefty saving throw, or else they get uh, trapped via the Imprisonment spell, which is like a seventh-level spell, and placed into a tiny sapphire in the bottom uh, of the tower or the top of the, I think it might actually be the top of the tower here. I think they go up. Yeah, I think they actually go up from this place into this area. So they become trapped in there. Uh, which is always weird to trap a player character, and they're really not supposed to be able to do anything from in there. So it kind of takes them out of basically the next fight. Thankfully, they're in the next room over, but they are unfortunately don't get to participate in this uh, upcoming battle. They're down that player. If that happens, I imagine it would happen. So it's that's a tricky thing to do. I'm hoping I can still pull that off without it feeling too shitty for the player because they really don't have anything they can do uh, inside of their own... Trapped Sapphire. <laughs> but then once the players get through this battle, which, by the way, is in an anti-magic field, that becomes very interesting. Uh, and In fact, I, if you notice, I actually scaled it up a bit because, again, one thing I have to constantly do is scale up everything because this is all originally designed for ninth level players. And my players are 13th level. I'm trying to see where. And this is all from the expanded towers of Etherin, which I believe I added uh, as an automated message here in... The thing although you might not see it for a little bit i don't think it appears until like 30 minutes in but you will see a link to that at some point let's see where is anti-magic guard room so the original one has five demos mage in which i have not changed from the original stat block they're very straightforward just kind of grunts medium hp medium ac and just weapon attacks i honestly didn't change any of that they do have magic resistance um, but they're in an anti-magic field, which is a pretty big deal, so that means, as I recall, no magic, and I think even is the case if you try to like stand outside of it, I need to look up that spell again, and try to like fire a magic missile into it, I think it just doesn't even work, like they just disappear when they go inside. Uh, let's see, Anti, anti-magic, we're looking at a spell, anti-magic field. Infant radius, Invisible sphere of Anti-Magic surrounds you, so this is obviously just the room that has it. Uh, within the sphere, spells can't be cast. Summoned creatures disappear, and even magic items become mundane. Uh, they can't protrude into it, so that's the big thing right here. So even if you try to be clever and stand outside the door and shoot spells into it, it just, like, dissipates. Doesn't function, but the time it spends suppressed counts as its duration. So it's it technically doesn't turn spells off. It just acts as like a null zone. I think, can't extend into the sphere. If the sphere overlaps an area of magic. The part of the area is covered by the sphere is suppressed. Which created by welfare Suppressed from the sphere can a gap in the wall if it overlaps large enough. Yeah. So in other words, if something is even bigger than the zone, it would still persist. However, the big thing is, which is kind of a pain in the ass to work out the stats for, is suddenly all the magic items turn off within the sphere, so that actually challenges it quite a bit. In chat, someone tell me what, oh, by the way, hello everybody! <laughs> uh, Nate CG 4279 leakies asks, can someone tell me what the class, the players, I don't follow this much since I'm still working on Tomb of Annihilation. That is a good question, something I don't bring up too often, although to be fair we are pretty late in the game right now. Um, the classes, we I mentioned they're all level 13. Uh, we have a half-orc, monk, um, what's her thing? The Sun Soul, the one with Radiant Blasts. We have a Human art- uh, Artificer, who is the Alchemist subclass. We have a Halfling Barbarian uh, of the Beast, Path of the Beast, uh, who's currently wielding a Frost Giant Belt, by the way, so her modifier is insane. We have a Thrycreen Ranger Swarm Keeper, originally, st- mm. Well, it's spoilery now, because you obviously you can see those as a Thrycreen. Originally started the campaign as a gnome, <laughs> but became a Thrycreen uh, through basically their uh, kind of personal quest chain they had in this adventure. And then we have a Eladrin Bard College of Eloquence. And they've all done a pretty awesome job within their own respective classes and really showing off all the abilities they can do. And obviously at level 13, just banana pants powerful at this point. Good question, though. Uh, so for the magen, I have not changed them, I have not scaled them up at all. There's still five, but the, I think the anti-magic field will make it interesting. I did add a Hypnos magen in there, but it, I did realize that it says, uh, in order to keep the Anvil security, and in the Armed Guards, it removes the effects of anti-magic field spell. The spell would not affect the magical magin guards. Nor, I think doesn't even need to say that, because I believe the designers of D&D have come out and said, any creature that was magically created, like a golem, can still exist within an anti-magic field. They were magic was used to create them, but they're not constantly using magic to sustain themselves. However, it does become a problem if I introduce this Hypno, hypnose Magin who can kind of who can cast suggestion. So, in other words, I may have to just not let him do that. Instead, let him use his just built-in psychic lash, because I think that's just kind of an ability that that thing can do. Um, I also gave it the shield spell for funsies, but I think I'm also going to not let it use that ability because it technically can't use spells while inside that thing. But psychic lash is good. DC 15 with save or take 3d10 psychic damage. I think I added the half damage on a successful save because I always like to have that as a <laughs> the DM side. So I did add a little bit more in there again for level 13, but I'm assuming that the, the player is going to be down a person for this fight. So anti-magic is going to be a big deal. I definitely need to remember that that's there because that really changes the dynamic of that fight and something the players don't usually have to deal with. I'm not sure if they can dispel it. Permanent anti-magic field spell. I guess with a what level is anti-magic field? Would I let them dispel it? It is a 8th level spell. So it would be a hell of a dispel magic to get that done. Oh, it says never mind. Spells and magical effects. <laughs> Eric, read the fucking text. Spells and magical effects such as dispel magic have no effect on the sphere. Likewise, the spheres created by different anti-magic field spells don't nullify each other, so you cannot dispel it. It actually trumps everything. The only difference is anti-magic field. Normally, as a concentration lasts for one hour, this one is a permanent effect. So that is just super powerful. What a deterrent for a city of wizards, um, specifically because they wanted to help guard this powerful anvil that can destroy uh, magic items. So that should be interesting. And also it's scripted to where once they make it to the anvil, they can destroy a magic item, the anvil will give them the right of the arcane octad they need. Um, I don't have anything, I don't think they get any bonus. I think they're just treating magic items for information, which is kind of what I included here, um, is that they can learn more information about, because they see shield thy heart with a wand from there. other, I got a sneeze. Ah, oh, this weather has been killer. On allergies, holy moly. Sorry. Um, I think it can ask I in my notes I wrote down you're basically every magic item that you give it to destroy, it will give you a piece of information. The players might not think that's a pretty good trade, and they only need the one piece of information, which is the the one line they need from the right of the arcane octad. So technically you only have to do it once. But I did put in there that they do it multiple times, which they I think at this point they do have a lot of magic items. Obviously if you were getting this pretty early in the campaign you would be very reluctant to trade in uh, any few magic items you've got, but they're pretty well-saddled, I think, at this point. Tower of Abjuration, this is... Yeah, so I've got a... Basically, how do we reach the central tower? They should already know that. They could ask what happened here. Every time they're going to ask a question, it'll say, you know, I will answer, when I'll have a creepy voice for it, I will answer one question for every time I feed or something to that effect. The right of the Arcane Octave, the important information they get. They could also ask where the Nether Oak is, in case they don't want to put two and two together, it's in the Arboretum. But it will give that information as well. Um, but otherwise, it re- its responses will be limited. You have to ask the right questions. <laughs> and then after they're leaving this area, and, and by the way, they can free and destroy their person who's imprisoned in there, although I don't think that counts as um, destroying a magic item. Um. After they leave this area, the Tomb Tapper actually shows up, and I'll have to make sure to tease the fact that when they're doing that, they hear like a humming, thrumming sound that's very odd and creepy, and they think it might be part of the anvil, and then this thing will show up. Basically, it's, it's scripted to show up here by the time the players reach here, which means they're going to be stuck in the anti-magic field to deal with this thing, which also means if I do make its hammer kind of a magical effect, um, That kind of fucks me up, so I was going to have it have this kind of cool uh, Thor-like, you know, hammer throw ability. But if you count that as a, you know, magical ability... I guess it's weird, how how does the Anti-Magic Field work when it comes to creatures with innate powers? I'm not quite sure, and I could see the players guffawing at the fact that I'm using... that he's clearly like throwing this hammer around as an ability it's got. I guess the Anti-Magic Field wouldn't also turn off player abilities though, like... Bardic Inspiration still works. Rage still works. Um, probably all the monk stuff would work as long as it says it doesn't create a magical spell. I need to make sure I've got that. Uh, this anti-magic field thing down. It does say magical effects though. Magical, that term magical effects is doing a lot of heavy lifting. Spells and other magical
1: effects. What does that include?
0: Suppressed. So that gets kind of tricky though. I don't know what, kind of, what constitutes a magical effect versus an innate class ability. I have a feeling this is going to cause some debates for sure. Like, is, is Thimbleweed Swarm a magical effect? I don't think Bardic Inspiration is a magical effect. The Swarm, though, you could make an argument for. The Radiant Blasts, maybe. Like, the things that Celeste can do with the like orb creating could, could be a magical effect. That gets a little bit tricky, I'm not sure. Obviously, spells is pretty easy to know what's a spell. Um, and then it kind of constitutes what I can and can't do with the Tomb Tapper. Just because, as written, you know, it's, it's big and beefy, it's pretty scary looking, but weirdly, like, it's best thing is just to uh, run up and attack people with its bite, and then try to eat them with the claws and try to get all these different damages. But I think it'd be cool if I gave it, like, Legendary Actions where it could use its hammer throw its hammer and do some fun stuff, but I don't know if the players would uh, balk at that, but maybe if it's an innate ability, I could argue that anybody's innate ability is fine and only spells, maybe they would, I don't know, we'll see. Uh, But I am thinking about giving this guy some legendary actions uh, in order to mainly throw his hammer, and I think you could do do a cool thing where he could throw his hammer at a target, which would be an attack roll, and then maybe as another legendary action, he could retrieve the hammer, and maybe that's like a deck save for people between him and the hammer, or it, I believe they are. It actually does specifically mention they're sexless, doesn't it? Yeah, sexless hairless warriors. <laughs> um, it's a uh, hammer, and then everybody can make a deck save, I don't know what kind of save it would be. I don't have a number. I'd have to look up what a good deck save for a CR10 is, but probably at least a DC. 15. 15 is kind of what I'm relying on for a lot of these things, although I'm realizing that uh, I, I it's it's hard with a dice game, right? Like, 15 is supposed to be like a medium, I think, in terms of challenge, and a 20 is actually hard. And yet, if you're throwing a lot of you know high DCs the players, they're going to get screwed on that a lot, because people who are trained in it can make a DC 15 decently, and yet it's still dice, so you could still fail it. And if it's something that's going to be happening to them a lot, then that gets a little tricky to raise that up too much. But maybe CR 10. It should be more like a DC 17. Also, randomly immune to cold and fire. Kind of interesting. Hindsight of 240 feet. That's... wow. Okay. So that's our Tomb Tapper. Um, that should be fun. And honestly, this could be a whole session easily. It's just the Tower of Abjuration. So that's the Tower of Abjuration. Uh, moving on, we've got the tower of conjuration which is the other one that's really close by to them and this one is a pretty simple puzzle we talked about this on monday Um, they walk in and there's a hero's feast available they can eat there's a creature a familiar in a cage that swaps forms every minute or so but it's kind of random in the order in which it swaps forms and it's supposed to give you a clue as to how to solve the next area so you go into this little door right here and you end up here And then there's a button with the walls, which I do have a handout for that, with the symbols, and you're supposed to put them in the correct order. Um, However, it's a random order, and every time you press it, the figure in here changes. So you have to basically work out some kind of way to communicate with the next person, because there's a Dimension Door spell that only operates every minute. At the same time, you've got an Ice Devil in here that's been summoned in this Magic Circle, who is going to be very creepy and try to bargain about how to get out. But again, as far as I'm aware, the Magic Circle does not prevent a, a creature stuck inside from attacking, it just gives them disadvantage. Same thing to if you were inside the magic circle, uh, again, I had to look the spell up similar to anti-magic field to make sure I got it right, um, then creatures who wanted to attack you, you were not immune, you know, there, it was not a force field, why did I search magic, don't do that. It wasn't some magical impenetrable force field, Instead it was a uh, disadvantage on attack rolls against targets within the cylinder So I was surmising, it does say obviously the reverse is true, so you can put somebody in the cylinder and trap them um, Then they, then anybody in the cylinder would have disadvantage on attack rolls through anybody without the cylinder And if you notice this is an interesting place because Normally the big advantage to the magic circle is a character cannot move either into it or out of it Which would be true of this devil who's been stuck in here, however This dude's got a 10-foot reach, and the entire tower room area he's in is 10 feet away. So it could be a very interesting, like you gotta talk to this guy, and if you piss him off or something goes wrong, he could still attack and try to kill you. Granted, he's got disadvantage on his rolls, but Ice Devils are uh, delightfully strong, especially against a single PC, uh, capable of doing, I believe, three attacks with a plus 10, an average of 10 or 12 damage, and again, magic resistance. It even let it do all of its things, although I don't know if it would be able to do that within the magics. Is it able to do everything? This can't be charmed, frightened, or possessed by the creature, and it can't leave. So I guess it doesn't actually do a whole, whole lot. Um, It's only a third level spell, so another person would be able to dispel it without too much trouble. And then it would, as a devil, I think it would honor any agreements that it had. Although uh, it would certainly try to uh, create a contract uh, of its advantage. Which I believe, unfortunately, what's written in the adventure is not necessarily what I'm going with, which it, it ties it to Avarice. Actually, another thing about it, I think Avarice does have a background about being involved with devils, doesn't it? I have to look, that I don't even know where to put that. Maybe it's just under Avarice? And I do have a plan on having Avarice show up again in uh, Etherin in this late late stage adventure. I meant to have her contacting uh, Volraven more often. I did have that one little follow-up back at Rebels End Uh via a NPC, a, a supporting cast NPC member they had found again, but uh, they didn't seem to be much interested in exploring that avenue. Okay, the effects spell. It's mentioned in the description. Is it a spell attack? Is it fueled by the use of spell slots? Does it a description say it's magical? Okay, thank you, Uh Leakies. That helps me a lot. These effects of a spell—it's mentioned in the description. Yeah, so I guess I need to read carefully the descriptions. If it says it's magical, let's just look. For example, like thimbleweed is my big question. Is it? So if it says like a magical swarm, then I'm like, nope, that's magical. Versus Frey raging—that's not a magic effect. Now her turning into a beast—I'd have to look that one up too. Uh, A swarm of intangible nature spirits has bonded itself to you and can assist you in battle. Doesn't say magical. Not say magical at all. In fact, it's just with him all the time. Swarm of intangible nature spirits in the form of a swarm. Okay,
1: so I think I would let the swarm be used.
0: Um. Ooh, his telepathy gets turned off. Wow, that's not really matter for the context of this battle, I don't think. But it does mention a magical ability, so that's interesting. So the telepathy would turn off for Thimbleweed, and then obviously you would lose your magic items. That one's pretty easy to understand. Uh, let's look up phrase. The same question a few days ago. It's on the same. Sage Advice Compendium. Oh, that's useful. Thank you. Because I'm sure it's come up before, right? Where people are like, well, wait, what works and what doesn't exactly? Because magical effect is, is way too vague of a term. You know, it, I I play a lot of board games, and you have to be very careful with your terminology, because that shit matters when it comes to figuring out rules. Obviously, I don't think rage is magical.
1: Um, I was going to look up Path of the Beast.
0: You can transform, reading the beast of power within into the rage. Any man is a natural weapon. Yeah, nothing about that says magical. It's part of the beast form. So I don't... I think she's okay. And then the other one to look up would be... Uh, any of Celeste's, like, radiant blasts. If that becomes magical. <laughs> Obviously... I don't think key strikes... Are technically magical. Or... The... The two keyboards active burning hands. See, Searing Arc Strike would be because it says specifically cast the Burning Hands spell. So that's pretty obvious. Um which is actually I don't think I don't think the monk ever actually does that one, right? It's the it's the ball one that that she does. Gain a new attack option used with attack action. This special attack is a ranged spell attack. So you can't use Radiant Sunbolt. So actually the Sun Soul Monk unfortunately gets nerfed quite a bit in the anti-magic field. Because that does count as a ranged spell attack. And I bet the same is true of Searing Sunburst. Yep, magically create an orb. Damn. So the first two got a pass. However, the Monk gets screwed because all the abilities say specifically magic. And the Mop would get neutered. So the poor Monk gets like super neutered, neutered inside the, magic, the anti-magic field. That's a bummer. But that's interesting. Like you, st- I guess you still have Stunning Strike. Um, you still have Deflect Missiles. You have like basically it's all your subclass stuff that gets turned off. And then obviously I think Edmund and Valravn is pretty easy. I don't think Bardic Inspiration would be affected. It's kind of good to go over this just because you know this argument's going to come up to play in the game itself, and it's good to kind of be aware. The only thing I would I would ask about is maybe Flash of Genius. This does not say magical anywhere, which makes sense. It's just you being a genius. <laughs> Although you'd lose, again, all your magical items, which is pretty big. Uh, and then Valravn. I assume Bardic Inspiration is not magical. Unsettling Words might be, but it wouldn't make sense
1: to do that because you can't cast spells in there.
0: Yeah, Unsettling Words is not magical. Uh, no. You spin words laced with magic. Ah! <laughs> Unfortunately, unsettling words is magical. Bardic Inspiration is not. I feel like it's a lot of subclass stuff that gets turned off then, whereas basic stuff does not. And then, obviously, he would be in bad shape because all of his shit is magical. So poor Volraven... And Edmund both would be in really bad shape for anti-magic field, which, you know, makes sense. That's the that's the problem. So ideally, one of them actually gets shoved into the uh, imprisonment spell. I had to look back at it, but I think it's like a freaking DC 17 or something. There's a chance that somebody would make the save. But uh, what's the door? Yeah, so you can break it down with a DC 25 athletics or DC 25 dex check using thieves tools. You can use dispel magic. Technically, I could have, if, any, if nobody wants to do it, I could have Valen use the spell magic, and then she gets shunted away, and that's kind of funny, because it's like, oh, there goes your NPC. Uh, but if you do it, then it's a DC 17 imprisonment spell. I need to write down what save that is. I think it's a wisdom save. Uh, it is a wisdom save, yeah. And you just become, it's like the frozen in carbonite thing. It'd be pretty freaky at first to see that, but the players should assume correctly that, like, okay, well, they've been dropped, like, further into this dungeon. Save. So they could technically make the save whoever does it, but if it's a spellcaster that gets shunted away, it's technically that's their best option because both their spellcasters would be uh, not as useful in that one fight they have to do, and then after that fight, they can go and rescue their, their friend. All right, so Conjuration, as I mentioned, the Ice Devil has... It's ties to Avarice as written, I believe. For everybody, buddy, Ice devil's trapped with a permanent magic circle spell. Magic circle can be dispelled with Dispel Magic, which I think it's only a third, what did we just say, third level spell. So you could easily just, um, cast Dispel Magic. I think there requires a check there. I think Dispel Magic lets you dispel anything of third level or lower When interrogated by High Conjurer Damerith, as the Netherese sc- scoured the Frozen North for artifacts. The devil's an agent of Lovistus and has been patiently waiting for 2,000 years to be freed. So, this is the part that's a little bit different from my campaign because I haven't done the Levistus thing or Asmodeus thing or any of that from the book. After seeing visions from its master, eagerly wasted the arrival of Abaris. This is all from uh, Expanded Towers of Aetherin. Aetherin Expanded Towers of Magic. <laughs> I say that wrong every time. It will reach out telepathically to any creature that enters the room to try to strike a bargain for its release. That I will definitely do. It knows about the ride of the Octad and the secret chest within the room. In other words, how to. It doesn't, I don't think, know how to. It would probably be able to explain how to solve the puzzle, but it wouldn't be able to solve it because you need to be able to see this creature to be able to solve it. Uh, The devil holds true to any bargain that is reached for its freedom. Once the terms of the agreements have been reached, it seeks out Avarice and helps her achieve her goals. So that's in there because I think Avarice mentions... Let's see, where does it mention for your backstory? That's Arcane Brotherhood. Okay, here's Avarice. Uh, Avarice has been a member of the Arcane Brotherhood for two years. Fantasy of in fame and prominence in record time. Hopes of plundering the lost city of Nethery City of Etherin will turn her fantasy into reality, which is all pretty much true. I have to go back and see how I roleplayed and did her. Unfortunately, it's been forever since my players ran into that, and that really fun moment where uh, Volravan revealed that she was an a- or he was an agent of, of Avarice's. The Tiefling has the secret support of the Archdevil LaVistus, having traded her soul years ago for her first taste of magical power. Levista speaks to her in dreams and guides her paths. Shortly right after Everest arrived in Ten Towns, urged her to seek out the Black Sword. Everest didn't know what who or what the Black Sword. So the bad thing is I haven't at all clued and this could be a, a, a late game twist. But I did not at all tease the fact that she's like in league with the devil or sold her soul or anything like that. In fact, she put on um she basically told them that she's just part of this group, like almost a self help group for Chardlin. Uh when in fact she like building an army to go after Um, the source, and go after what Baelish and Nass found, which was Ethrin. So she's going to show up with her army of Shardolin wielders, which I need to figure out a stat block for that, but I'm thinking maybe even the Shardolin Berserker stat block. I think it's her Shardolin something, which was a pretty nasty stat block that I recall. Because at this point, enough time has passed where probably all of her people have been corrupted by Shardolin. Self-styled Knights of the Black Sword offer her sanctuary in the Keep of Deneval, where they are based. Although she doesn't trust the cultists, they treat her with more respect than anyone else does. And then during the context of that storyline in our campaign, um, she was able to institute a coup uh, because the players helped her. They defeated the actual leader of the cult, and then she took control of the cult, and then took them all and left. And now essentially what she's been doing is, uh, and I believe she left a sending stone with Uh, Valravin, of course, will have the twist that she, like, lojacked it and is able to track their every movement, has been listening into all their things, and uh, she will show up with her, you know, army of Shardolin, Berserkers, whatever they're called, because I don't think the Knight of the Black Sword is not a, it's like a cultist stat block. It's not nearly strong enough to offer anything. And then she will have uh, basically followed their footsteps through the Caves of Hunger and into Etheran, and at some point, once they start doing some of the towers and maybe they you know, trying to start making their way towards the central place, that's when Avaris would probably show up. She's got a pair of loyal gargoyles named Gargle and Gurgle. Serve as her bodyguards and scouts. Might have to scale them up a little bit, but that's gargoyles are still kind of useful stat blocks. Uh, Okay, so she could have the Ice Devil at her call. That would be a cool twist. Like, the Ice Devil gets free, does whatever it does, and then disappears, and then appears later... Um, allied with Avarice. that would be a pretty good one to have. We could have like multiple boss fights and faction dealings and all that, because we still have Balesh and Nas to deal with. I'm gonna have the Frost Maiden show up. It's almost gonna be a hilarious like, um, what's the thir- uh, the Battle of the Five Armies with uh, the Hobbit, where <laughs> all the different factions show up, except instead of armies, it'll be you know more D and D scale like uh, manageable units on the battlefield, but. Hopefully I can pull this off. We'll, we'll freaking see. But I would allow the Ice Devil to attack people. And that might be a cool twist if the person like starts fucking with him, and maybe even making fun of the Ice Devil. And it merely like takes its glaive and just starts stabbing the other person. And I may, you know... The creature's trapped but is not helpless, in other words, that they might not realize. The Tower of Conjuration, not nearly as... Long, I don't think, is abjuration. It's pretty much that one puzzle and then the RP slash potential combat scene with the ice devil. Um, There is a trap here where if you don't get the sequence right, you fall down a pit and have to deal with the tentacles. And then I believe you get a pretty good amount of treasure that I may scale or may not scale up. Uh, At the same time as when you uh, solve the puzzle, the housing GP ruby, which if I be very happy about it, would maybe grind into dust so we could cast Force Cage. Fuck Force Cage. Uh, 100 gold worth of charcoal, incense, and herbs, 300 gold worth of rare chalks and inks, 3,000 gold. That's a lot for a desk. Serpentine Owl, Figure of Wondrous Power, which I don't think this link works because I did not bring that part over. It's just called, uh, is it Figure of Wondrous Power? A figurine.
1: Which are cool, but they've already got a bag of tricks. I don't know how much I want to use that. Serpentine
0: Owl, is that? Yeah, that's this one. It basically just turns into an Owl, right? If you use an actual command Word and throw the figure into one of the ground, six feet of you, the figurine becomes a living creature. Which is just a normal Owl. <laughs> Owls are nice, but... Oh no, never mind, it's a giant Owl. Well, that's different.
1: For eight hours. That's
0: That, that actually is really cool. Edmund or anybody would love to have just a fucking giant owl you can fly around in. I mean, 19 hit points, it's not It's not Lord Marbury. And I think once it's uh, destroyed, you can't use it for like, what, like a week afterwards or some weird time limit. But uh, for the moment, you could use it to fly around, and fly by is something most flying creatures should have, in my opinion. You have a flying creature that has melee that doesn't have fly by? What the fuck are you doing? Wet penguin, what's your favorite D D campaign you have on your channel? You make me choose my favorite child. <laughs> um, I would love to throw that over to viewers actually and see what they say. Um, I would. Ima- I know Tomb is our most popular. I think our Tomb of Annihilation campaign is probably the most popular. Like Fandelver is. So popular because everybody plays it. It's like the still de facto adventure and it's recommended. It's the intro ben- adventure. Everybody does it. And ours is so old. Like we played it back when it was still like pretty new, I think, years and years ago. So st- uh holds a special place in my heart. And that was my first time DMing. So you always remember your first, I think. <laughs> uh, Tomb is, is really good. I think it translates really well to Roll20 specifically. Uh, I think it's easily a top five adventure for 5e that they've done did not require a whole lot of story stuff for me to make it work. And it's got a really fun mega dungeon at the end. Uh, it does the hex crawl thing. It's, it's good. It's really cool. It, it, it combines like tomb of horrors with Isle of dread in a really cool way. Um, and I, you know, the few story modifications I made were almost just at the beginning kind of, and then changing the, the time limit of the death curse. I've really enjoyed rhyme though. Um, I think it's required a lot of extra work from me, but it's, you know, Icewind is a, a neat location um, it, I think it's got a lot more problems than Tomb does, and it's, as I mentioned, required a lot more work, but I have no regrets of running it, and I think Rhyme is also a top five adventure campaign, but definitely not higher than Tomb. I'll say that. Help act. Type, can't any creature technically the, take the help action? It's something nobody likes to do, but I think that's something any action... Or, or maybe not. Maybe NPCs can literally only do what they what they can do but I thought they could always take like the dodge action or the help action like, I think those are always kind of available as like a baseline thing so yeah maybe having a giant owl you can summon would be useful it can't be used again until two days have passed so that's kind of a weird time limit it does last for eight hours or until it's destroyed I believe although well, if it says it's destroyed it reverts to a figurine okay well, that would be nasty if you're flying through the air and it gets, like, shot by basically anything in Aetherin and it gets to zero hit points and then it becomes a little statue. Now you're hurtling through the air in a tiny statue. <laughs> that could be dangerous. So, yeah, I could probably still give him this thing. I don't have a problem with that. Um, I probably would tone down the amount of gold they get, though. 3,000 gold seems way too much. I would probably replace that with scrolls. Like, they should get a ton of magical scrolls from Aetherin. Like, that should be definitely a thing they get. Alright, so that's the Tower of Conjuration. So now we're basically caught up um, as I've spent half our time talking about things I've already talked about, but it's important also for me to reiterate all these things. It helps me prep for sure. So now we can either look at another tower or we can talk about the other areas that are nearby because I'm assuming, again, with my radius, radio planning strategy, they're going to go to the nearby places. So they know at this point, since they've been to this gate this is the entrance to the final area, essentially, that they're at. They know they need to go to each of the eight towers, or what I will introduce at the beginning of this coming session is the fact that the their NPC villain frenemies, if you will, uh, can offer to go do the ones that are further away, and they'll say, hey, we're less of us, We can or fewer of us. Uh, we can go further and try to slink through the city a lot easier than you group can. We'll try to do some of the towers, but you guys, as a bigger group, will probably be able to do more of them faster, which is my... Very obvious DM way of saying, hey, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll scratch one and two of them off your list, maybe three, depending on how long the rest of the adventure takes. And then they can easily go do the ones on the other side of our uh, giant glowing central spire. So knowing that, the players can still do the Tower of Abjuration. Um, eventually they'll have to do this Chain Lightning Stadium. I do have fun rules for that, but they won't know they have to do it until they do Tower of Evocation. So they can either do it now and explore it now, Or they could just ignore it, just do the towers, then realize later on they have to come back here and do it. Either way, I'm fine with that. And then the Tower of Conjuration is here. So that's why I've been looking at those two because they're both uh, relatively close. The other tower, nearest one, is Divination, which is much further away and in fact has the Arboretum and the Library in between. So that's why I'm maybe looking at, thinking okay, I need to actually prep some of these other areas that are not towers but are still kind of, you know, areas of significance, adventure locations uh, in here. I also had a fun idea, and I mentioned this on Monday, of having an intact iron golem as a guard because it mentioned in the, which is weird that it's not in the book as an encounter, but it mentions in the Caves of Hunger, uh, if you recall there's that head of an iron golem, and then the body is, a headless body is like rampaging around this area, the bazaar, which I think is Y13, rampaging for 2,000 years. but I thought, okay, well, let's just have that the body be maybe crushed under this tower or something, and then the head somehow survived. But now there's another one, because they, you know, they've got more than one iron golem. Kind of like uh, Waterdeep. It's got the walking statues. So Nethery, the, the city had these iron golems as uh, sentries that would walk around and, you know, basically be just the cops. I, I don't know. <laughs> Guards. Um, and, uh, of course, with Nethery's fall and everything, they're set to like emergency lockdown mode. So they're just and lethal force has been authorized. So they're absolutely just killing everything. And I could have a fun scene where the players are kind of coming up. Basically as soon as they reach this upper area, I would not include the encounter when they're making it to Y7, but I would include it as like them seeing it from a distance. But I would love the idea of being able to clearly see this large powerful creature uh, just walking along and maybe a group of Nothics like runs by and it, you know, yells at them and goes after and maybe like kills some. And that's an example of the players going, oh shit, okay, there's this big patrolling creature that we can either choose to avoid uh, or we can fight it or we can sneak past it or whatever else they want to do. But I thought it would just be a neat kind of environmental hazard they have to deal with. And I would not try to force a combat encounter. I would have it take a slow and steady patrol radius. And if they want, they can just try to, you know, wait it out or something. But at that point, I can maybe trigger uh, other random encounters to throw at them. Fort warrior, that moment cemented it as my favorite. Reese's Roleplay had me rolling. Everybody loves Fort warrior, yeah. Um, As a moment where the players just royally fucked up all my plans for getting inside. Like, they just... I had, like, a gate guard who was going to give them a hard time. And they just were not uh, willing to play ball at all. And they basically got kicked out. And then they had to come up with some other way of getting inside. And it was glorious. It ended up being really fun. It's one of the best examples still we have of... um my plans as a DM went terribly awry, and yet because the players were, uh, in, um, I don't know, it was just smart enough and, and were plugged into the game enough where they wanted to get in there and thought of other ways of thinking outside the box and using a bunch of other fun methods, and the whole thing ended up being really, really fun and interesting and memorable in a way that I hadn't planned at all, which is part of, I think, the joy of uh, playing a tabletop RPG. I don't know if we've had a specific moment like that in rhyme. I think they've mostly played it um, pretty close to as I expected. Somebody will probably have some uh, thoughts or remind me about areas that uh, went way different than what I expected. But so far, I don't think I've been thrown any huge curveball. Oh, well, I will say uh Sunblight, I guess, would be the best example. I did not expect one player to um, emulate another character to the point where they completely took over... Uh, Sunblight as a role-playing endeavor rather than a stealthy or combat thing, although it did devolve into combat eventually. So actually, Sunblight is probably the best example we have, and probably my still overall favorite um area we've had in uh, this campaign, and partially because of that reason. Alright, so we've got a lot of tabs open, I'm going to go back and talk. So I don't know if I need to actually prep the Tower of Divination this week. Um, Instead, we've got the two towers, we've got the stadium, and then we just need to look at Y8, 9, and 10, which 8 is the, uh, it's like an academy, sports and outdoors, house of the arcane, Uh, this place is easily entered through any of the gaping holes in its outer walls, nothing can be salvaged from the study halls and the towers, but the auditorium holds something of interest, so it's in this big ass building, but there's only one room that's actually usable. In fact, there's not even a chance for the players to, like, search for loot or anything, which I would probably let them do. Uh, Let's see. Eight stained glass windows overlook a ruined auditorium. Each window in the auditorium depicts a wizard casting a spell from the eight schools of magic, which they're all cantrips, I believe. And there's a magic goblet embedded with the eight colored crystals that represent the eight schools of magic. The liquid inside it looks and tastes like hot water. Ugh. A detective magic spell reveals an aura of divination magic on the goblet and indicates that the liquid carries auras of all eight schools of magic. Liquid isn't poisonous harmful never runs dry as long as the goblet remains in the auditorium. Is the goblet worth anything? I don't, because the, the first thing they would do is like, okay, we take the goblet and then we see if anything bad happens. But it doesn't, the, it doesn't say the goblet's worth anything, which it should be. However, it does lose its ability, I believe, if you remove it from here. Uh, like the Holy Grail, except I think the Grail just can't cross the seal. For some Indiana Jones reference. Uh, And you roll it, and you get a D8. I think it's fun once the players realize you get a magic benefit from it, and then I love that there's a secret effect that they don't even know what happens unless you cast it. So it's just straight up a free treasure room, but you have to risk drinking the odd liquid inside the goblet, inside the auditorium, inside the lost city. (laughs) And you would have to... No, to not take it with you. mate. You know what? I might flavor it when you remove it to make it more intuitive. If you remove it from... Where is it on like a lect? Yeah. A Bejeweled Goblet rests on the lectern. I might have it pretty obvious where like the, the stained glass are like shining maybe some lights on it. And then when you remove it, maybe the lights dim and then the water actually disappears to really drive home the fact that it only works. Well, no, because if you remove it, you'd be drinking it. Uh, Because clearly you have to remove the cup to actually take a drink. Maybe there's like a little bit of a radius then. Maybe if you stand there, pick it up, and drink it, obviously everything stays the same, but if you pick it up and walk a few steps away, Then the lights dim and the liquid goes down. And then if you return it, everything turns back on again. Or if you just get close to the lectern, it turns back on again. Well, you'd have to put it back on the lectern to have it refill. (laughs) But I try to make it more obvious that like, hey, if you want to do the thing, you got to do it now. And it doesn't, nothing happens if you try to remove it. It does say that you can only get one ever charm from this goblet. Uh, Which is, for 24 hours, you get to be able to cast a cantrip, which, at this late in the game, uh, feels mostly useless for most people, I would say. (laughs) Uh, It's just for funsies. And the real trick comes when it expires, then you get usually a benefit, but sometimes a nasty penalty applied to you, depending on which one you got. However, you don't get to choose, it's just a D8. So, I think I'll keep that as written, actually. Um, I don't see any reason to change it. I just make it a little bit more intuitive about how the actual goblet thing works. Uh so moving on to Y9, this is the one I have the biggest uh, controversy with, I guess, because I'm trying to wrap my head around this whole Arcanoloth thing. It's it So an Arcanoloth is here in the library, and you think a library in the Lost City would be a hugely cool place, but it's this archanalast just showed up recently apparently and is searching for something that isn't actually here. So a it doesn't know anything. B it's doesn't it doesn't realize it doesn't have to be here. <laughs> so it, the whole thing just feels very random and odd. It doesn't have you know proper motivations for being here. So it's just it's weird. I don't know. I, they can the whole plot unfolds with the Arcanoloth having this penguin called Kingsport which requires your players to somehow give a shit about this uh, very weird looking penguin thing with these almost like uh, The Last of Us style growths coming out of it. Uh, yeah, Blind Albino and Giant Penguin under the effects of an Awakened spell was promised a life of enlightenment, Choose that Kingsport was turned into Scriven's Lackey, who lives in fear of his cruel unpredictable master. So Unless the players care and want to try to free him or try to fight this archonoloth, there's really nothing for them to do here. And unfortunately, archonoloth doesn't know anything either. It's just been in this library, I think, a couple days? Let's see. You must be the librarian. Scrimsy has need of your assistance. Arcanoloth reverses up on the third person, which is fun. It has a fondness for black licorice, strips of which it keeps in the pockets of its robe. Insists the characters help double search for the Book of Keeping. Characters engage in a conversation. King's Sport is going to approach the nearest character and pass a note to them, which says, "Help me, in common. I'm oppressed. It can uh, write, um, though it's blind. Oh, write it with its beak, though it's blind." Characters must evade, defeat, or strike a deal with Scribency if they want to rescue the penguin. Assuming they give a shit about this penguin. If outmatched in combat, you teleports to the depths of the library and plots its revenge. All right. Let's look at the Arcana Lost that block. So I'm just trying to wrap my head around if this is worth doing it all. Because there's other things you could do here. I think you could still turn it into like a one room battle, but maybe you would, if anything, I would take advantage of the living spells, right? Like the living spells are in Aetherin, Um under living spells. You could even come up with more of them, but I know that there's living Bigby's hand, and there's, maybe they're not here, living L. Okay, there's under living. Living Blade of Disaster and Living plane. I think the Demiplane is supposed to specifically be only in the main central tower. Living Blade of Disaster, by the way, is a CR8. The a very powerful Force Blade attack who has a uh, nasty crit effect. Magic Resistance, and it's just a, yeah, a sentient spell come to life. And you could also do the Living big of Hand, like you could do all And maybe even have a few magin in there, maybe just dead magin. I don't know to show that the spells came to life. And then you could have as loot just a bunch of, uh, you know, pieces of ether and lore and uh, spell scrolls. So it's just pure combat treasure versus having this Arcanaloth in there that I can't wrap my head around how to exactly use effectively. Characters agree to cooperate with their Arcanaloth soon find themselves alone with Kingsport, who reveals that Scriven's has as a cruel and wicked master. I guess because he can't talk. Neither Kingsport nor his master know much about since They arrived only yesterday using a spell scroll of plane shift. Can he not plane shift by himself?
1: I guess not. He has contact other plane.
0: Well, that's convenient. How he get back? Does he have another spell scroll of plane shift? Been a few are studying the books in the library. Learn some facts from the Aetherin lore table. One of the tomes they examine is an almanac that passed winners of the city's Chain Lightning tournament. Summary of the game's rules. That could be very handy, actually, if they come here before they do the Chain Lightning Stadium event. It's one a journal written by Thufius. One of the few majors of 5 Ethern's crash describes how the city fell from the sky in attempts of its doomed survivors to escape. Last entry reads, Ariel Arthas is convinced that aid will come in time for Netherol. I am not so sure. It's worth putting that in there or not. Uh, Scriven's Cry carries three spell scrolls. Uh, Layman's Sunny had Plane Shift, and Wall of Ice. You're going to really give your uh, players a scroll of Plane Shift. Time of opening
1: with a single use remaining. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems so random.
0: And this weird jackal headed creature that my characters would not know at all what it is, uh, metagaming or otherwise. Certainly not know that's a CR12 spellcaster who can teleport as an action. So you could always have them flee pretty effectively. Straight up firebolt does not it? A- Although it only has the one action, so I guess you'd want to just cast spells. But by itself, again, a spellcaster with hundred hit points ain't gonna last long. But we need to have some allies. Uh, maybe it could have the spell books as an ally that could be. In fact, that could be interesting if I give it as loot. Something the players realize is that maybe these living um, spells are tied to, like, certain spell books. So you could almost summon them like Pokeballs, except obviously be a one-time use things. So that would be way too strong to give the players the ability to just essentially summon like a living a living Bigby's hand. Um, You know, whenever they wanted to. Series of wild magic that sites have been by powerful forces getting rise to spell effects and become living beings. Not the places they were created, some kind sort of ambient magical energy. Yeah, which would be a great place to put it here in the library, I think. They did fight a living Bigby's Big hand, by the way. I was able to tease that. Uh, many, many sessions ago when they were in um, uh, the one city, East Haven. Had that pop out of the statue, which was pretty fun. And it made it for a pretty effective boss fight. Which, which is always cool if you fight you know, a creature as a boss early on in the campaign, and then later on they fight it as a normal, relatively normal enemy. Although, sadly, we did end up not actually fighting the Aramorazes in the Case of Hunger, which makes me very happy that I did end up using them uh, earlier in the adventure during the giant uh, excursion fight because I would have been really bummed if we made it through this whole campaign without fighting a goddamn remoraz. Mind blank, finger of death, chain lightning—those are all nasty spells. Finger of death, especially nasty. Does have counter spell, fear, fireballs. So it's got full-on spells, but still, like it could be obviously murdered in a single round, depending on initiative. No matter what the spells are, so uh, I don't know. I'm I'm willing to hear any um, arguments for including the arcanaloth um but in terms of i feel like i've got so much story going on with the arcane brotherhood and other factions appearing that i don't know if i need to do a whole lot of um just random rp stuff for the same reason that i skipped the prison area y5 basically doesn't exist in my campaign because it's supposed to be where you get the doppelganger has been around forever and has all this information like i just don't need that uh for the same reason i don't think i need the Arcaneloth versus like the tower of necromancy where they'll be able to uh, definitely run into a one of the high wizards uh they they still they're speaking they're getting voices from uh Iriel Arthus who's still around and just kind of deranged as a elder brain inside the spire and they've got all their other npc factions uh who are either with them now or will show up in the future so i just can't quite get an argument for it now i, I but i do still want to not skip the library and i think that's it has value as just a mini uh dungeon probably literally just like a one room Dungeon like literally i'll just find a map of a library of a like a destroyed library looking thing, and then maybe they make their way in there they can fight the spells uh the living spells uh could be a cool fight and then afterwards as a as treasure, they can find a bunch of interesting you know spell scrolls and maybe some other interesting stuff there, but that's kind of what I'm leaning towards versus the Arcanola stuff, but if you've got a good defense for uh, running the library more as written then I'm willing to hear it as such. But as it is, I, I don't really see the reason to include this on a lot in there. And then real quick, uh, the Arboretum, which is the other area that's kind of close by, which once they go to the Tower of Abjuration, uh, they realize they will have to go to the Arboretum, which I love that. That's you know, one area tells you to go to other areas. That area tells you to go to other areas. It's classic good open-world game design that motivates you know, not everything has to be a, hey, you have to go here as part of the quest, but it, it serves a purpose as motivating, you know, players to go to those areas. Uh, in this case, it's the Arboretum. Uh, this is a hollow in the floor of the city. Vent space, transparent element, puffy, gray vapor, which turns above the treetops dis- as disperses as rain. That's cool. An illusory hemisphere above the Arboretum protects a false sky, now malfunctioning. Very cool. Uh, the Nether Oak, a tree called the Nether Oak, goes to the heart of the Arboretum. Now these mages crafted their wands and stabs from the wood of this oak. Saturated in profane magic, the tree developed a brooding a sentience and a gnarly face. Another uses the tree stat block, but is neutral evil and speaks common and prairial. Now that could be a very fun social slash, uh, slash combat encounter as well. Must craft a wand from the wood of the tree. Gathering wood from the wake from without waking the tree requires a successful DC 20 a stealth check. Characters wake the tree, they can convince it to part with some of its the success. Successful? That's such a hard word to say when I'm talking quickly. DC 15, charisma persuasion check, but only if it believes they intend to perform nefarious magic with it. So, once they perform nefarious magic with it. The nether oak is easily angered and uproots itself if driven to combat. And it is joined by four needle blights, which is cool, but I probably will have to scale this encounter up. Actually, a tree in CR 9, that's not too bad. I can just give it more hit points. Maybe, uh, are Needle Blights the more stronger one? Or those, blight. I think Needle Blight. Maybe I come up with some more stronger Blights as minions, or maybe not, I don't know, plus three. But that's, I like I, I like this whole thing. Basically, as written, I think the only thing I would have to change, Um, obviously I need to throw a map together, or find one. Um, but I think having it be a social, either a, a stealth uh, moment or a social moment, and then as a backup, I can have combat prepared uh, but they will need to go here as part of their main quest. I think that could be definitely worth running pretty much close to as written. And I think that just about covers all the areas around us. So the biggest one I still need to prep for tomorrow is uh, the library, where I need a I mean, arboretum, I'll need a map, and then the uh, probably scale it up slightly. The library is probably getting the most amount of change. Aside from again the expanded towers, but so far I'm, I'm running the expanded towers pretty much as written as the designer Dan Khan did. Uh, so I think you know, those don't require that change. Not all of them will be the case. Some of them will be changing up or or not using. But for those two, I will definitely be running as written. Um, I'll keep the House of the Arcane as written. The library will get the most amount of change for me, and then we're not actually going to use the prison at all. I just don't. The only thing there was that weird doppelganger. It was just a total you know, NPC that knows everything you can find very early on, which I already did that with Orvex, and I don't need to do that here because uh, the players already have enough NPCs helping them, and I think I'm being more obvious with what they need to go and where they need to go and what to do here. So all right, I think that is going to do it for this Thursday edition of Crafting Ice. Video. If you enjoy the content, please do check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, William, Brandon, Genocider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Role, Christopher, Brian, William, David, Corey, Coat, 1337, Matthew, Big Nut, John, John, Infernus, Chris, Scott, and Gene, and Gold Patrons, RPG, Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Marcus, Dead Lizard, Lion, Sam, Lippie, Spuds, Jerome, Nathan, Fast, Scott, Refus, Carolyn, and William. Thank you all very much for your support, and I will see you tomorrow night for D&D. Thank you.